You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas, a longtime MMA journalist, novelist, and podcaster. Joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie and USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, UFC 236 fight week is upon us. Yeah. You and I were just looking at the card before we, uh, we started were. recording the show. This is true. It's a little top-heavy, I'd say, don't you think? Maybe you figure, hey, you got two title fights on the two interim title fights. And they both held together so far. So far. Here we are, Monday of fight week. What else do you really need? You call up OSP and Nikita, Nikita Krilov. Your boy, hit your boy up. You hit, like, on the hey. two-way. For whatever reason, I imagine Eric Anders has a two-way. A next tell? Yeah. You get the little beep and he's Chirping like, sound. He's like, yeah, what up? It's your boy. Your boy, Eric, your boy, Anders. Ask if he's got time to come down to... Uh, State Farm Arena in there in Atlanta, Georgia, and fight Khalil Roundtree Jr. this weekend? He's like, yeah, sure. Beep. Beep. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. And he's like, I'm in the middle of a movie. Hold on. I'll, <laughs> I'll get you right back. I was going to ask you to pick a fight that you were most excited about, aside from the lightweight and middleweight interim title fights that you got at the top of the card that we're going to talk about in some detail on this week's show. But now that I look at it, now that I look at the actual card, I think, is that even fair? Is that even a fair question? Because, I mean, you can go straight to OSP versus Nikki Thrills down there in the in the pay-per-view curtain jerker. But aside from that, okay. is there anything happening here that you look at and you're like, it's on? Well, I don't know if I look at it and go, it's on. But I do have to draw our attention to... A fight that on this card looks like it might just be the work of internet pranksters on Wikipedia. Uh-huh. I speak now, of course, of Boston Salmon versus Khalid Taha. I believe we've talked about Boston Salmon previously on the show. How does your name sound like a thing like that is for sale at the grocery store? Boston Salmon. Oh, shit. You got some Boston Salmon? That's the good stuff. No, Boston Salmon sounds like something gross that you would order. Like it would be a special... <laughs> At the restaurant you order, it turns out it has, like, cream cheese and capers on it or something. Oh, that's the Boston salmon. That's how they eat it down there in, in Beantown. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a person's name. I, yeah, and I think we've we've talked about Boston salmon on the show before because of the name Boston salmon. Well, Sheridog would have me believe that Boston salmon's nickname is Boom Boom, which... I. Do you need a nickname when your name is Boston? Like, couldn't your nickname be Greg? Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. you know, Boston Salmon already sounds like a fake name. It sounds like, remember when you'd see the list of, like, fake baseball player names that, like, a Japanese video game came, company came up with to come up with, like, a, an American baseball video game? And yes. Boston Salmon sounds like one of those names. Yeah, and you know what? If you're going for an actual nickname, Boston Boom Boom Salmon, that ain't bad. No, I mean, you're you're no. starting with a certain level of whimsy already. Yes. Like, Boom Boom Salmon, all right. I guess I'll take it. I just feel like if, you're, if you are Boston Salmon, people's first question is not, but what's your nickname? Exactly, yes. If your name is Boston Salmon, 
I imagine that your transition to professional MMA fighter had to do with a lot of bullying <laughs> early on in your life. Came off the contender series, though. So maybe the bullied has become the bully. Maybe so. Down there at Bantamweight, fighting Khalid Taha. Of course, we'll, we're all very familiar with him. Remember, if you want to support the show, we got Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t-shirts and Dundasso t-shirts available right now on demand all the time whenever you want them you just go over to cottonbureau.com pick yourself up some cme merchandise again that is cottonbureau.com we got music this week from our friend dion rodriguez a producer from deltona florida if you like what you hear from him on the podcast you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash dbeat7 and again as you all know by now that's the word beats with a z beat Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, can you feel that? It's the shivers of excitement that come with a Max Holloway fight week, accompanied, of course, by the queasy white-knuckle terror of wondering if everybody's going to make it to the cage without getting poisoned. And in round number two, in the co-main, Kelvin fights Israel for Bobby's belt inside Dana's cage in the ATL. And in round number three, Chris Lieben finally finds a sport where he really can just go out there and roughneck people. And the biggest fight in the modern history of bare-knuckle boxing might be set. Will we really get Artem Lobov versus Poly Malignaggi? All that plus are you fucking... I didn't even have to make a joke about that. No, you didn't. Did you, you see just that I just kind of laid it out there you, straight? You just said what was happening. Like, what's the punchline? The punchline is, will we get Artem Lobov versus Poly Malignaggi? A serious question. For a serious podcast. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first... Like we always do about this time. Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Sean Kahn, who writes, Four headlines from the front page of Bloody Elbow. Headline number one, Habib calls McGregor rapist as feud escalates. Headline number two, Dana White. Connor Habib feud has, quote, escalated to a level that is unacceptable. Question number three, watch new video footage of buffet brawl between Usman and Colby. Headline number four, McGregor reacts to Malinaji slap of teammate Artem Lobov. I feel like we've jumped the shark here. I can't put my finger on exactly what happened, but it, this definitely feels like a post-shark jump world. The sport is just tedious to follow now, with everyone out there acting stupid, the fight cards getting more and more watered down as the roster bloats with regional-level talent, and the events getting harder and harder to watch. Do you think the ESPN Plus era, with the reduced emphasis on number of buys due to the large amount of money generated up front, will help curb this WWE-slash-TMZ nightmare the sport has become? Can we get back to building the sport responsibly as opposed to chasing these clickbait, lowest common denominator type buys. Now this, Ben, is a question that I myself have posed on this show or on the live chat or on the Power Hour. But I do think it's interesting to wonder, now that you've put a couple of barriers to entry in front of the casual MMA fan uh, in terms of getting access to UFC fights and UFC pay-per-views, I do wonder if we will see a... a, uh, the pendulum swing back, I guess you could say, a little bit more toward uh, the the hardcore fan and uh, maybe a little bit more old school UFC approach. Do you think that that's just crazy talk? I think it is. I think it's hopeful talk on your part. I think it's not like we end up with these headlines by accident. No. Uh, people are they're reading the room and trying to see here's what gets attention. Here's what works. Fine. I'll do that thing. Plus, you could this, this list of headlines is already kind of out of date. 
You could add, like, I already see more headlines about Conor McGregor maybe being involved in some kind of pub brawl over yeah. there. You see that one? I did. It was just from, like, the news of the weekend kind of making it into the media. That is a great way to put it at this point. Just, like, uh, bullet points, news from the weekend. Yes. Conor McGregor involved in pub brawl. Yeah. What potential crimes did Conor McGregor commit over the weekend? Boston Salmon, two for one. <laughs> Let's just down do there a, at uh, TGI Fridays. Quick roundup. And... Some of these, I mean, the the Connor Khabib stuff, the uh, the then the, you have the the Usman, Colby Covington, all the Abdulaziz buffet brawl off the clock, like, but that all seems to stem from, it traces its genealogy basically back to Conor McGregor's routine, like Colby Covington kind of saying like, okay, this is what it takes, I'll do that, and then I will be ill prepared and completely reluctant to deal with the actual consequences of it when I'm just trying to get some damn crab legs. Right. Is Colby Covington the Conor McGregor there? Or is Kamar Usman uh, the Conor McGregor? Neither one of them is the Conor McGregor. Right. But, like, they're... Kamar Usman is reacting to Colby Covington trying to get him a piece of that Conor McGregor pie, basically. Right. By being... you know, Or maybe even the Chael Sonnen pie. By, like, trying to be this outlandish character that you think everybody wants you to be. The... The crazy thing about the McGregor reacts to Paul Ignazi's slap of teammate Artem Lobov is that we're a year later and Artem Lobov's big news is still getting slapped. Yeah, he's the guy who gets slapped. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, it's he, good work if you can get it. I, no, it's not. It's actually no, it does not pretty sound terrible. Like good work. Yeah. It's pretty terrible. It sounds like a bad deal a lot of the time. I mean, we'll talk later about his actual fight and everything. But a lot of this stuff, it's people seeing what works to get our attention, that Malignaggi, Artem Lobov thing was news for like a couple days. It was dominating the headlines so much that we forgot they weren't actually fighting each other right. in this bare-knuckle thing. Their confrontation might have had a longer shelf life had they been the two guys that were supposed to fight this weekend. Right. Instead, you had Jason Knight on the sidelines being saying, like, what about me? Take me serious. Yeah. Well, I mean... I, it's one of these situations where you see people like to point kind of fingers like, oh, if the media would stop do like covering this stuff, but then if fans weren't clicking on it, then the media would stop doing it. Like, it's not like people are putting up the, these stories because they feel like it is so fulfilling an act as a journalist to write up Polly Malignaggi slapping Artem Lobov at the BKFC media day. Like, they're not like, well, this, yeah. the light must be shined on this one. Yeah. But that's bullshit, though, right? Because, like, what are you going to do? Not report it that Polly Malignaggi shows up and slaps Artem Lobov at a media day? Are you not going to And then what am I going to do as a fan? Not click on it and see this video of Polly Malignaggi slapping right. Artem Lobov? Like, but as the media, like, what's your choice? Like, Kamaru Usman and Ali Abdelaziz confront Colby Covington in the buffet line at the Palms uh, when Colby Covington has his cargo shorts on and he's just trying to get himself a nice brunch. He's out of costume. Like, what do you do if you're the media? Do you just, like, ignore that? Because then you know what happens. Right. Then there are people all up on the internet being like, ooh, the media is scared to report this. Dana White must have sent an email around saying he was going to take away everyone's credentials if they reported Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington at the buffet line. Right. The media is merely the UFC's mouthpiece and all this ridiculous stuff. Okay, but I understand the feeling here, like, when you look at some of the stuff and you're like, how is it that I follow this sport of professional damn cage fighting where it's already the action inside the sport itself used to be considered kind of too extreme, yeah. kind of too much on its own. It used to be that just the sport was a controversy 
And now it's all the stuff that's around the sport. Like we, we're not even content just with the actual violence that takes place in the cage on a damn near weekly basis. Now it's all this other stuff. I can relate to the feeling of like fatigue over that. Like I'm just tired of dealing with all this other extracurricular for sure, stuff. For sure. And yet, is it that, hey, like you just get a bunch of fighters together and there's not like a great ex like exercise of authority from the UFC or from any state sanctioning body to kind of restrain them in any way. So they're for the most part, they're allowed to kind of do what they want, even when they go crazy. Is it that they're doing it on purpose in a calculated way because it's getting harder and harder to stand out because there's just a, so much of it going on and B, like we said, it becomes more commonplace. MMA itself seems more commonplace. So it's like, it's harder to get people's attention if you're an MMA fighter. Like, or is this really not anything new and we're just getting fatigued about it because a lot of it seems to be happening all at once? Well, you know what I think we've learned? It's a slippery slope. I feel like Connor started doing it and for a while it was funny and sometimes it was silly and sometimes it was ugly. But Connor made a lot of money and so now you have a bunch of people who are out here trying to be Connor clones, obviously, or trying to be Chael Sonnen clones. I feel like if we were going to make a diagram, as you said, of like, uh, who is the father of everyone's style that Colby Covenant may in fact fall more on the Chael Sonnen yeah. lineage than Conor McGregor. But at the same time, like everybody's trying to do that thing because they look around and they see, you know, maybe more specifically a guy like Chael Sonnen who had always been kind of a middle of the card talent was able to elevate himself to this uh, championship level. And a guy who ended up making a lot of money in the sport based on an unprecedented winning streak by him, but also based upon his theatrics, based upon the fact that he was out here playing a professional wrestling style character, maybe a little bit before that became en vogue and was playing it so well that in fact, it took us a while to figure out what he was up to. Uh, so you, I think you see people like Colby Covington see that, that that's what works and that's what makes you marketable. And so they try to follow, follow suit. But it's a slippery slope, man, because one one guy starts doing it and then another person starts doing it. And pretty soon you got a million Connors out here running around trying to fight each other at the palms while the old lady is just trying to take her, her grandniece out to like get some crab legs or whatever at the buffet. See, now, and Colby Covington seems like an interesting example of that because I don't feel like Colby Covington, given all choices on the table, would have chose this. Like, I think that this was a response to a problem. That or a response to a situation that he saw, especially I think him being out of, out of costume, out of character, off the clock, standing there in his cargo shorts and his American Top Team T-shirt at the buffet line, is kind of evidence. Like he he doesn't necessarily want to live that. He wants to use that character as a means to an end. Right. And it's kind well, of we know he's standing there googling Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> trying to find out what his position on health care is, right? Yes. Is he Who am I going to vote for in the primary? Is, is Pete Florida. a single-payer guy? I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, is he going to give us more like voucher programs? Because I'm not with all that bullshit, man. And yeah, who knows? But it does seem like, and, and maybe I think to an extent, like why Colby Covington's attempt to do it has been treated by the MMA fans as a farce and not as a thing we're really enjoying. Like, what we're enjoying, basically, is making fun of a guy who is trying for an obvious blueprint and failing at it over and over again. And, like, that's where, like, the fun comes in. I'm feeling like you're kind of in on the joke, I think, for a lot of fans. And yet, he seems like somebody where he 
maybe would have preferred to do it a different way. Maybe would have preferred to just win the damn fights. But you can win all the damn fights you want, as we've seen. And if people don't care about you, then you're going nowhere. Can you get the genie back in the bottle? And does the ESPN Plus deal have anything to do with getting the genie back in the bottle? I mean, I think maybe it's possible to get the genie back in the bottle. But I think for the most part, like fighters are out here and they're doing the rain dance, man. They're just trying to make it rain. Which you can't really blame them for. No, you can't. Especially because the pay is so low for most of them. Even when you're successful and even when you're winning in this sport. And so it's like they're looking at the people who actually are making the big money and are the superstars and being like, okay, let me try to come up with my own formula that takes into account what I've seen succeed. And to some of it, some of it may be people not even thinking it through that far, yeah. just reacting in the moment and flipping out. And then, hey, if it works out and you get a bunch of headlines and you go with it. I don't, I mean, it's hard for me to think though that. Hey, we're in the ESPN Plus era. We don't need to sell as many pay-per-view, or at least the emphasis on selling pay-per-views has shifted to somebody else's problem, and therefore we're all just going to cool it and be nice, calm sportsmen about yeah. it every single time out, and we're not going to do this stuff anymore. I mean, I think that these some of these habits are going to be hard to unlearn. I agree. I think the question, uh, the point you made about pay is kind of interesting, and I wonder if the if baseline pay was harder, or I'm sorry, higher, if you would just have a little bit more calm. If not, everybody was out here trying, trying to scratch out a living wage. Like, I wonder if you would have people who were less inclined to throw the MAGA hat on and uh, call everyone sweat hogs or whatever it is that Colby <laughs> Covington does. I mean, people were always going to try to scrabble up to whatever the highest earning level available is. So you'd probably see some of that. But I wonder if, you know, just if everyone was kind of making a comfortable wage anyway, if you would have less, fewer people out here acting the fool. Or if the thing that got you to the next higher pay tier was just athletic success and not character building, essentially. Next question this week comes to us from uh, the actor Bill Pullman. Okay, good now, to hear from him. is he deceased? I don't think so. Or is that... Uh, You're thinking of the other guy. Yeah, it's Pullman and uh, Paxton. Yes. Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton might be dead. Okay, so we think Pullman is still with let's, us. Let's check it out. And a resident of Montana, I believe. I believe Bill Pullman lives here. In the state of Montana. Is that right? I saw him at a music festival one time. Music festival? Yep. What music festival? Red Ants Pants Music Festival. Oh, God. That's the worst thing you could have said there. Well, I'd, I was trying not to say it, but then you asked I knew, me specifically I knew you were what, trying to say what music it. festival. Did you go? Use a couple blankets over. Yeah? Mm -hmm. You guys both enjoying some bluegrass? Yeah, we were listening to the country and the western, both kinds of music out there at the uh, White Sulphur Springs, Montana Music Festival. I can just picture you getting a t-shirt tan... At the Red Ants Pants Festival. Get on that and find out if Pullman is alive. That's what I want to know. He's alive, age 65. Is MMA's close proximity to events like Bare Knuckle FC and WrestleMania the reason it will never become mainstream? I'm going to take issue with two points in this question from, from actor Bill Pullman. Number one, I think Bill Pullman is going to be super disappointed to learn that WrestleMania is already way, way, way more mainstream than MMA. And number two... What this question presupposes is that MMA is not mainstream. I'm going to say MMA is about as mainstream as you can get. It's just that a lot of people have decided they don't like it or they're not interested. Well, you will still, now and again, run across a person that doesn't know what MMA is. But shit, man, you're on ESPN. You're holding it down on ESPN+. Plus. You've been going 25 damn years in America. I think we have reached the level that we're going to reach. Except for Conor McGregor... Uh, spikes in the 
in the in the business? First of all, we need to cut Bill Pullman some slack because at the age of 21, he suffered a head injury and lost his sense of smell. Oh. Also, maybe you're saying that Bill Pullman, who co-owns a cattle ranch with his brother outside Whitehall, Montana, where he lives part-time. Okay, see, that's what he's doing down at the Red Ant's Pants. Maybe he's a little out of touch with us commoners. Especially now that he got that honorary doctorate from Montana State University where he was formerly employed. Boo. Uh, I understand, though, it feels like MMA fans have been waiting forever for a kind of mainstream, like, membership card to come in the mail. Yeah. Like Like an old knight is going to show up at your house with a sword and he's going to be like, Neil, you are now among the mainstream. Right. And he's going to... Touch you on the shoulders and the head. And I don't know if it's because we never thought through far enough to be like, what would it actually, how would we know when we were mainstream? Like, what would be the signifiers? Or if we thought that it was going to be something completely different, maybe because of the outsized promises from the UFC executives who were like, going to be bigger than soccer. Is world fucking domination. This thing is going to be huge. It's going to be the sport yeah. in the world. And so in now... We're, if we're like, hey, it's not bigger than soccer, therefore we must not be where we're going yet, maybe that's it. Because you're right. Like, it did seem like like maybe the, the mainstreamness of it just happened so gradually. And it also coincided with just generally in a lot of different sectors, audiences kind of fragmenting yeah. more and more. Especially as you see, like, so many different streaming services and there's just so many different things to choose from. And so, like, the audiences for everything have fragmented and gotten yeah. a little smaller. And so it's it, it happened so so gradually as everybody else was off doing their own stuff that you kind of never had a moment where you're like, this is it. We done made it. Yeah. We're here. Well, they did try to sort of declare that moment. With the Fox with deal? With the Fox deal. But that's the thing. Like, if you look at ESPN Plus and you look at the other stuff that's on ESPN Plus, it's like... Hockey. Yeah. It's a shitload of hockey on ESPN+. Plus. I enjoy that. Baseball is on ESPN+. Plus. Soccer is on ESPN+. Plus. And then, basically, the flagship brand on ESPN+, Plus is the UFC. So it's like, how mainstream do you want to get? And how mainstream can you reasonably expect MMA to get? If you ask me, hockey, soccer, Monday night baseball... You're there, man. Well, yeah. You are already there. And now, as we've talked about before, now that you have the deal with ESPN, suddenly the UFC shows up on the ESPN ticker all the time. I'm running on the treadmill looking at the TV where they're showing like basketball highlights and stuff. It's always right there in the ticker. Now, the news that comes across the ticker might not be what we imagined it would be, but that is life in our sport. So, like, may we have to just deal with that. But, I mean, you can look up at a sports bar or look up at a TV and maybe you'll see some UFC on there where 10 years ago... That kind of thing was basically unheard of. So this is kind of as mainstream as it's going to get. And yet I would like to see, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more in the third round when we talk about Bare Knuckle FC. I would love to see the Venn diagram on like a weekend like this or like a couple weeks span of the people who are going to watch a big UFC event like this weekend, UFC 236, watch WrestleMania and watch Bare Knuckle FC. Because I think that those circles have a lot more overlap than maybe we assume. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about Bare Knuckle FC in a little bit. I want to do this question from Tracy Dickinson before we run out of time. This came over. This came to us over on the Patreon. She writes... Patreon.com slash co-main event. So I'm starting to hang my head in shame a little bit with all of these negative MMA headlines lately. Yes, I'm looking mainly at you, Connor, and Habib. 
to make myself feel a little bit, a little bit better about being an MMA fan, I thought it might be a nice change of pace to focus on some positivity in the MMA community instead. How about Brian Ortega with the Brian Ortega Foundation helping kids by auctioning off a Harley? Or Mick Maynard helping veterans with a nonprofit organization? Or our boy the Diamond auctioning off his fight gear after his title fight, like he always does after any fight, this time to help build a playground for disabled children? I know that these stories don't get quite the same amount of interest, but to make me feel less like a barbarian, can you help me focus on some of the more positive things happening in MMA? rather than all of the negative things that we can choose from. Is there anything in particular that you can think of? This is a great point. Yeah. And like, I I think when you, or at least I'm just maybe speaking for myself here, but like as an MMA journalist, I'm always kind of, I don't know if amazed is the right word, but like you get out in the sport and start interviewing people and talking to people. There's a lot of really good people involved in this sport. There's a lot of really selfless people like uh, essentially donating their time. There's a lot of people uh, who are more, I guess, educated and articulate than you might expect a quote unquote cage fighter to be. Not that that necessarily equates with like goodness, but like I always find that the, the quality of person that you frequently encounter in the world of mixed martial arts is pretty high. And speaking as a person that has like covered a lot of different sports and interviewed a lot of different athletes, MMA fighters are, by and large, some of the smartest, like seemingly uh, of somewhat high moral caliber and like uh, interesting and affable people that I've that I've covered. Yeah. Well, the Dustin Poirier example is a good one because like Tracy Dickinson pointed out, like auctioning off his fight gear uh, and then also getting other fighters to do the same. He's gotten a, a couple other people, I think, that where and he's mentioned them on Twitter uh, who heard what he's doing. Like, OK, yeah, sure. Like. Take mine too, and all uh, for this time to try to build a playground for uh, kids with disabilities. And yeah, like stuff like that, it is tough. Like it's never going to be reported the level of somebody getting slapped around at the media day. Right. Like it's it's always going to be a kind of like a side story. Like, oh, by the way, this guy actually turns out to be a nice person. And yet you're right that when you actually are around people in the sport and you kind of take a step back and sometimes a lot of like a lot of gyms are going to have like some interesting characters in there as just like coaches and trainers and stuff who yeah. they don't make a ton of headlines and you won't really know them unless you're in there and then they also turn out to be awesome people so like those people do exist and just overshadowed by your wife's a towel no you are a rapist right and some of it is that you know, the old journalism cliche is that plane lands safely is not news. Right. And so some of it has to do with like the audience driven culture that we're in now in, in journalism. And I think you can make an argument that one of the worst things that happened to journalism is that we got all these metrics. Yeah. We find out what we found out what people read and what they don't read. And so, especially if you work for like uh, a big, company like uh turner sports owned bleacher report when i worked for them like they just weren't interested in any mma story that wasn't going to drive a lot of traffic and frankly you can't tell the guy from a hard luck background is now making good and like starts a charitable organization too many times before like that story just doesn't register much with the with the audience unfortunately and so a lot of it has to do with with what people will read and what they'll click on unfortunately um but yeah, like I'm always astounded every any time I go, uh, you know, interview a bunch of MMA fighters. And I guess even though I've talked about it a lot on the show, I would give the the 
Bleacher Report story that I wrote about recovering after fights, not only from injury, but also from like the emotional highs and lows of, of the kind of personal boom and bust economy that is being an MMA fighter. I was astounded when I talked to everyone for that story, like how open everyone was, how honest everyone was, how willing to talk about their feelings everybody was. And like, you know, just, just like you, you interview a guy like Michael Chiesa and like Michael Chiesa just seems like a good dude. Yeah. And like, I always kind of shudder to, or hesitate to say this kind of stuff about people just because we don't know many of these people. And it's always possible that like, you know, a person you really like can go then get in some legal trouble. And maybe it turns out they're not the greatest person in the world, but like you interview all these MMA fighters and Michael Chiesa is just an example. Like Michael Chiesa is smart. Michael Chiesa is fun to talk to. He has a, a sense of humor and like uh, he really seems to understand the bargain that he is making with his brain and body in this sport. And like that, all of that stuff is super commendable, I think, for a person in that situation. Also, Michael Chiesa, uh, when I posted a picture of a pair of nunchucks that I bought, uh, he immediately was like, A, I know you got those at the 50,000 silver dollar bar. Right. Uh, between here and Spokane, and I was like, "Yes, as our neighbor, and three her, hours to the west." And I was like, "Yes, obviously, I got them at the fifty thousand silver dollar bar. A, a resident of this part of the country is going to be able to spot where your ten dollar nunchucks came from." And then also, he followed up with a list of all the things he has bought at the silver dollar bar over the years. They included a blowgun uh, and a purple wolf shirt, as he described it, which. I don't even need to see the shirt. I already feel like I know what it yeah, looks like. Pretty much, we're on the same page. Also, there. maybe like like some ninja stars and throwing knives and stuff. And so it was like, yeah, okay, Michael Chiesa, one of us, basically. Like if he wasn't actually physically capable of getting in there and fighting in the cage, would be sitting there uh, along with all the other fans, practicing his nunchucks at home and uh, talking like a nerd about MMA. Can I ask a f- quick follow up question? Sure. The nunchucks. 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 Right. Yes. Uh, was there a reason or was it an impulse buy where you just on a road trip and you decided to stop at the 10,000 silver dollar? Well, bar? I mean, I did not go there expressly for nunchucks, but I was going by there. And in my mind, before I even pulled the car off the highway, I was like, if they have nunchucks there and if they are of a reasonable price and quality, I will purchase them. Kind of because I realized, how have I made it? I'm almost 40. I've always wanted nunchucks. Like, it's hard to kind of re- remind yourself. I no longer have to ask anybody's permission for nunchucks. I can just buy nunchucks whenever I want. Yeah. And how have I not done it? And I rectified that. Now I own nunchucks, Chad. And let me tell you, very satisfied with that purchase. Very satisfied. Are they just hanging from a nail by the front door in case you need them? <laughs> like, like I'm going to tell you where my nunchucks okay. are. Solid point. Come on. Solid point. Anyway, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says, email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and knowns that we miss. On all the days that we're not recording the podcast, stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, things just keep right on popping 
over on the Co-Main Event Podcast Patreon page. Indeed they do. A lot of cool stuff going on over there. At this point, the kids that want to get in at the $1 level, they can go ahead and get the Co-Main Event Podcast proper for free every week on Mondays, just as everyone else can. But they can also jump on, Ben, for the live chats on Wednesday. The live chat, Wednesday, 11.30 a.m. Mountain Time, 10.30 a.m. Pacific. And even if you can't join it live in progress, you still have access to both the video and audio version of the live chat, where we talk with CME listeners about, let's say, a range of topics. Like, we're going to talk some MMA every single time. We also somehow end up talking about everything from Bigfoot to Stephen King to... Parenting. Parenting. It's a no-holds-barred approach it really on the is. live chat. That's what I like about it. It really, truly is. If that's not good enough for you, you can jump on at the $5 level, get access not only to the live chat, you can jump on and get the uh, the co-main event podcast, Patreon Power Hour, which comes out every Friday. It's a whole other podcast, It's Chad. an hour-long podcast with more focused discussion about MMA. We will usually choose like one discussion topic Talk about it for, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes, and then we'll move on to co-main event podcast, Patreon Power Hour Power Rankings, which is the big selling point for Rolls the actual right off the tongue. Power Hour podcast. Uh, and if you want to be one of our guys or girls and you want to go whole hog for the $10 level, you get all that stuff that we already mentioned, plus you get access to the Road Agents podcast where we're rewatching the the show Deadwood and breaking it down episode by episode. You can also send us a request for, to talk about a topic of your choosing. You send us a question that you want to hear a response to. We will make an audio file just for you and send it back to you. Plus, Jed, if you're down with the Patreon, you get things like the instant reactions after big events. For instance, after UFC 236, we might have an instant reaction coming down at people. I'm going to be out of town. God damn it. Sorry, you really, I should have mentioned that at the top. You really should have. This is poor, Nor- poor normally timing. normally we break down the pay per views with instant reactions. We also do special retorts. The special retorts when news breaks on days that we're not good doing the podcast. So far, we end up talking a lot about the exploits of one Conor Anthony McGregor, but we hope that changes. We sincerely do. But Chad, I mean, you get down for a dollar a month for the CME podcast to get in on the live chat and you know join the team. It's like twenty five cents a week. I mean, you lose that in some couch cushions. That's nothing. If that sounds like something you want to avail yourself of, just click on over to patreon.com slash co-main event and join the swelling army of co-maniacs over there and join all the uh, the perks of membership of the co-main event podcast Patreon. You know what the best part is? What's the best part? You're not giving your money to an evil corporation for a change. That's right. You're giving it to just two guys who have families and whatnot. Straight in our pockets have to pay for all this equipment this fancy equipment you see here man the boy that's cheap look at that the light the red light says quality that's right the kid max holloway 27 years old moving up in weight this weekend to take on dustin poyer for the interim lightweight title in the ufc what do you think about this ben max holloway he's been super dominant at 145 pounds is he gonna have the stuff to go up and wait and take on the big dogs here in the UFC's most competitive division at 155 pounds. You know, I think that the actual scope of this challenge that Max Holloway is presenting for himself is kind of downplayed by the fact that he's doing it. I mean, A, for the interim title, yeah. which we already know how to feel about those. But B, against Dustin Poirier, a fellow former featherweight, who he's already fought once before. I mean, who he lost to, so this is a chance to basically show 
I'm not 20 years old and a skinny kid anymore. By the way, I went back and watched this fight from 2012 where Max Holloway and Dustin Poirier fight. They both look like actual babies. <laughs> I felt bad watching it. I was like, how am I watching two children fight in a cage for my entertainment? Max Holloway, I mean, they both look super young, fresh-faced kids, but Max Holloway looks like a damn fetus out Like there. when you see a picture of yourself from high school? And you're yes. just like, my God, I can't believe all the stuff that I was into. I was just a child. Well, <laughs> well okay, that maybe Chad Dennis telling on himself a little bit there. But especially seeing Max Holloway back then, because it was his uh, UFC debut against Dustin Poirier. He was 20 years old, and I think he was like 4-0 and as a professional at the time. And now, especially knowing what we know about Dustin Poirier, imagine going out there, your first UFC fight, you end up... You're doing pretty well on the feet, but he's out there throwing jumping knees and spinning sidekicks and stuff. And then the next thing you know, you're in a mounted triangle from Dustin Poirier. And you're like, well, shit. And he came so far so fast after starting out just incredibly young. And now, like, that's maybe the best way you could frame it if you want, if you're Max Holloway and you're trying to present to people, like, to show them, like, hey, this is a big deal what I'm doing. I'm going to show you just how far I've come. And I'm going to do it against a guy who not only beat me back then, but who has himself gotten much better since then. Yeah. I think you're right to say that it feels like Max Holloway's move up to lightweight, even if it's just for you know one fight, if that's all it turns out to be, could be much bigger news. And so it feels a little bit under the radar just that it's happening against Dustin Poirier, like you mentioned, and on this UFC 236 card, which itself feels a little bit under the radar. It's certainly not you know one of the tentpole UFC events that... Uh, ESPN is is probably going to go balls to the wall to try to promote. Although, interestingly enough, this is the first one that you got to get behind the paywall at ESPN Plus okay. to even have the option to order. So now that's my question too: is how do you think? Because it's the first one, yeah, right. It's the first one where that's the situation, at least like in the U.S. I mean, for again outside the U.S., things seem to have changed not at all. But for people in the U.S. who maybe don't follow the sport closely enough to know exactly what that situation was, don't you think there will be some drop-off just in people who are like, I wasn't going to do it, but then I tried to, and it wasn't on the cable, and I was and I, I was starting to look at the s- steps I needed to take in order to order it, and then I said to hell with it. Yes. I think there will be a big drop-off. I hope that neither Max Holloway nor Dustin Poirier uh, were really counting on the pay-per-view points here, and I hope that you know they got some kind of different... Uh, situation figured out with the payment or else this probably isn't going to be, you know, nearly the wind ball windfall that those guys might have been expecting. Uh, One of the other things that I think Max Holloway has on his side, Ben, is that we've seen the lighter guy move up and win some of these so-called super fights in the UFC and in MMA recently. In fact, you know, the last handful have all been won by the lighter fighter moving up in weight. Given that Max Holloway is so good and throws such a high volume of diverse strikes. And that's, that's kind of his game really is that he just sort of overwhelms you with not only information that you're trying to process, but like, you know, damage and, and sheer pace. I wonder if he is even going to be more, I wonder if that style is going to be even easier for him if he's not cutting as much weight. Well, yeah. I mean, it's always interesting to me to see the potential changes like in a fighter's performance or just how healthy they look or especially their resiliency when they're not cutting all that weight. And Max Holloway, especially recently, has seemed like he's cutting a lot of weight. But then again, I mean, like Dustin Poirier definitely benefited from going up to lightweight, right? I mean, he seemed better and like 
he can he can take more and give more back up there at lightweight. I do wonder though, like you go up there, you and Dustin Poirier, you have yourselves a good fight at lightweight if you're Max Holloway, and if he wins, does it mean like okay, you want to be like okay, now I'm gonna get the real lightweight belt, like now I have this interim belt that usually stands as like a token that can be cashed in for a real title shot, or if you lose, like either way, does it have some kind of negative effect on your status as featherweight champion? Because if you win the lightweight title, maybe you don't want to go back down to featherweight, you know, do that weight cut again, and everything. you feel like you can make yourself a bigger fight if you could get Khabib or something. If you lose, it's kind of like that situation TJ Dillashaw had where how do you go back and still feel like the champion? Cause you're like, Hey, I didn't lose at this weight. I did lose to a guy who used to fight at this weight. Like how do you return to normal life? Either way, if you're Max Holloway. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously it's better to win than it is to lose, but don't you feel like Max Holloway as interim lightweight champion opens up a lot of interesting doors for Max Holloway that would not necessarily be open if he remained down 145 pounds where like the competition is, tough and there's a there's some up and coming young hitters down there at 145 pounds but they're not necessarily guys that are going to uh score you big pay-per-view points or or uh lead to that windfall that I was talking about earlier but like if you're Max Holloway and you are suddenly the champ interim champ and you have that 155 pound interim title like suddenly Habib Nurmagomedov seems like a viable option. Suddenly maybe even Conor McGregor seems like a viable option, viable option, depending on, you know, what's going on in that guy's personal life. Uh, but McGregor, as we all know, has a win over what was it? 20 year old, 21 year old Max Holloway that they sparred about on, on Twitter. Uh, but then, Hey, he'll be like, Hey, Dustin Poirier had a win over that young ass Max Holloway too. And I took him out, right. assuming he's able to do that. So, like, a rematch between those guys seems somewhat compelling and maybe, like, a fight Conor McGregor could be enticed to take. And if you lose, I mean, I don't know. I suppose that people are going to uh, see that as as a notch against you and, and the mark against your greatness. But, I mean, you can always still go back down to 145 pounds and continue to test yourself against, you know, these young guys that are coming up who many of whom seem really, really good and are going to present compelling uh, and you know, interesting fights for Max Holloway. So I don't know, man, I don't know that it's necessarily that big of a, of a, of a loss for him. If he, if it, you know, if he, as long as he doesn't get knocked out in like uh highlight real legend crumbling fashion, like I think, I think he'll be okay. Do we know what the, uh, what the odds are here? Yeah. I looked up the odds. Is Max Holloway a, a compelling favorite, a, an overwhelming favorite? What would you think? I would think Max Holloway would be like two to one, three to one. Well, I mean, you're, you're pretty close there. I'm looking at Max Holloway, minus 225, minus 230. That's about as high as it goes. I mean, the guy's won 13 damn fights in a row. He has. The last four of them have all been TKO stoppages. Uh, so he rolls into this thing with a head of steam. But then there's Dustin Poirier to consider, right? Who's uh, who's no slouch, certainly, at this weight. Uh, and a guy who... He's he's come by this title fight somewhat honestly. Yeah, he has. He's pulled and scrapped his way into it. Uh, he has also gone, what was it, five fights without a loss, six fights, five fights without a loss, although uh, he's got that no contest against Eddie Alvarez where uh, Alvarez was DQ'd, I believe, right? No, I mean, if he was he DQ'd, just it'd be DQ'd. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, probably should have been DQ'd, right. all things considered there. Yeah, I mean, going back and watching that first fight, 
And again, there's only so much you could take from it just because both guys have gotten so much better. But Max Holloway, you can tell, had the good a good base as a striker. Like, has a good management of the distance, was throwing, like, a wide variety of strikes, and was doing some good work against Dustin Poirier, and then Poirier took him down. And as soon as he took him down, he went, got an amount, put an arm bar on him. Max Holloway looked like he was going to make Dustin Poirier break his arm. He was able to sit up out of the arm bar, got triangled, got stuck in the mounted triangle, and then Dustin Poirier yanked on his arm and looked like... Like, Max Holloway, again, this is some shit you can only do when you're 20, because he really let his arm get cranked on pretty good, which I hope he wouldn't do that now because yeah. you're, you're stuck in that spot. You're not getting out of there. And for a 20-year-old, yeah, you'll wake up tomorrow. You'll be a little sore. You'll put some ice on it, and it'll be okay. But somebody you're an eye age goes out there and does it, arm will never be the same. Uh, but I just don't see at least that part of the fight where Dustin Poirier kind of easily taking Max Holloway down and then just running all over him in the grappling department. I don't see that happening this time. Yeah, like you've got to have an answer for Max Holloway on the feet. You do, yeah. And that raises the question of exactly what Dustin Poirier's path to victory here is. Clearly, he's got the power uh, to stop people. Uh, he is himself an able striker. But I agree with you that, like, I hope that Dustin Poirier is not thinking, well, I'll just take him down like I did last time. And then, you know, one plus two equals three will be interim champ. Yeah, I mean, he does have some power, but it's not necessarily that big one-punch power. And as we've seen, one of the things that Max Holloway has excelled at doing in, at least in fights with some other featherweights, like Brian Ortega and like Jose Aldo, is he'll bait you into these kinds of exchanges where he'll he'll sell you on that idea that you're going to crack him hard once and turn this fight around. And that's exactly what he wants to do. And then he's throwing in volume. Like, he's getting you to fire back, trying to earn some respect and back him up a little bit. But he keeps coming. Like, he is never thinking about just one punch trying to take you out. And you got to think at lightweight, he he would be not only more capable of taking a punch, but would throw a little back, a little more power himself, probably. Yeah. Like, matchup-wise, it's kind of hard for me to picture how Dustin Poirier wins that fight. But I also think Dustin Poirier is a, is a resilient guy and a smart fighter. So... I don't put it past him to, of course, over the over the course of five rounds to figure something out. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, we mentioned it earlier in the show, but I just have to go with the obvious Are You Fucking Kidding Me? of waking up today and seeing headlines out there that there are rumors that Conor McGregor punched a man in a nightclub in Dublin uh, after the guy allegedly uh, harassed him about his loss to Habib Nurmagomedov. Are you fucking kidding me? What are you even doing, Conor McGregor? Like, this is one, this makes you seem like you're just out of control. Like, if you didn't know it already, like, this dude is just going buck wild in the streets of Dublin. You know what I might do if I was Conor McGregor right now? Stay home? Have a drink at home. Yeah. Have a have a cocktail, an aperitif, whatever you want to have, but do it at home. Maybe lock yourself in your bedroom. And then open a bottle of wine. And then just get silly. But stay in the bedroom. Say, don't open up this door no matter what yeah, I no tell you. no matter whatever you hear on the other side of this door, don't open it. Not until the morning. Treat yourself like a werewolf. Still, even now, allegedly, going out and punching people in the bars. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Not like he's going to suffer any consequences because he never does. Uh, Chad, this week, why are you fucking kidding me? I click on this story on MMA Junkie. About, uh, hey, Josh Barnett signed with Bellator. What are we going to do? He's going to get a title shot, right? 
And then I see a quote from Scott Coker about heavyweight champion Ryan Bader. Ryan will stay at heavyweight for his next fight, and he will fight the number one contender. That is, dot, 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 check Congo. Are you fucking oh, kidding me? Man. Don't do it, Scotty Coax. Wow. Don't do it, man. Don't put Czech Congo in a position where he could become your heavyweight champion. You know, champion. you're going to fuck around and have Czech Congo as your champion. And That's just, what's going to happen. He's going to just drain all the fun out of the room. You have Ryan Bader. You have Josh Barnett now. And you are going to insert into that equation a roadblock in the form of Czech Congo? Mm-hmm. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. Sometimes it's like these MMA promoters who've been in this thing their entire lives have never seen MMA before. Don't do it, Scotty. Don't, Don't do, it. do it. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Well, Chad... For your money in signing up for ESPN Plus and getting this here pay-per-view, you don't get just one interim title fight. Oh no, my friend. You get two UFC interim title fights, which maybe adds up to a full regular title fight. I don't know how the exchange rate works, but lightweight, you got Max Holloway versus Dustin Poirier, but at middleweight, you got Kelvin Gastelum versus the last style bender, Israel Adesanya. Yeah. A fight that really wasn't on anybody's radar back when it seemed like Kelvin Gastelum was the next uh, title contender for Bobby Knuckles' legit middleweight strap. Bobby Knuckles is going to be out a little while, so we are going to entertain ourselves in the meantime with this one. And honestly, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. especially like The interim belt stuff, not crazy about that. But hey, if it takes a little bit of the pressure off Bobby Knuckles and lets him heal up on his own timetable, I'm not mad at that. Also, it allows it to be a co-main event that we also get five rounds of. Yeah, miraculous in some ways how Kelvin Gastelum versus Israel Adesanya was just there for the taking in the wake of uh, Bobby Knuckles having to get pulled out of his own title fight scheduled against Kelvin Gastelum due to that uh, was a strangulated hernia or something like that that he suffered that he had to go to the uh, emergency room for. Did you just add the word strangulated there? Well, given that my hernia knowledge has just increased yeah. a lot in the last several weeks, I know that uh, a strangulated hernia is when you... You suffer a hernia, okay. as it appears Robert Whitaker probably did in training at some point. And then, you or know what? moving her- a child's bed. I've, I've been told that can happen too. You know what happens when you have a hernia? Your, uh, your insides, your intestines, come out through the abdominal wall. Right. And then in a strangulated hernia, the abdominal wall closes again. So it pinches off wow. that part of your intestines that is then trapped on the what you might call the wrong side of the abdominal wall, and it can be can be fatal. It can be a, a big deal. And it sounds to me like that's kind of what happened to Robert Whitaker because he wow. had to go to the hospital and, and have emergency surgery. It's like the podcast had a visit from Dr. Matt Damon. That's right. Six weeks to get back from that if, you, uh, if you're an athlete like Robert Whitaker. Uh, but yeah, that, like that one event, you know, Kelvin Gastelum got a win, uh, or he didn't fight, right? He just started walking around with the just belt. Just started walking around with the belt. Israel Adesanya beats Anderson Silva, presents himself as the number one contender. So here you are, Kelvin Gastelum versus Israel Adesanya. I was astonished when I saw these two guys standing next to each other for the stare down. Obviously, we know Israel Adesanya is rangy, but someone should have got Kelvin Gastelum a milk, a milk crate to stand on or something. Like, he is giving up at least a head in height. Yeah. 
Well, and we also had to remember, Kelvin Gaslam was the welterweight who couldn't make welterweight, forced to go up to middleweight. And even then, even when he was having success at middleweight, kept holding on to the dream of one day being a welterweight again. Maybe when you're standing there peering up into Israel Adesanya's face is when you're like, see, this is what I was trying to tell you guys. You should have let me be a welterweight. But I do wonder, style-wise, how this one's going to play out. We talked, remember, about Kelvin Gastelum and how he matched up against Bobby Knuckles. Yeah. And your idea, I believe, was him for him to go out there and wrestle Bobby Knuckles. Is that right? I was the only path that I saw. I mean, if you if it's if the choices are wrestle or punch, let's do the first one. Right. But like, but that was your your recommendation. Even though we both conceded that we had no good recommendations against Bobby Knuckles. Your recommendation was go out there and like take swing from the heels, kid, and hope for the best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, just wanted to clarify that yeah. for a second. Uh, but now you're facing Israel Adesanya. Right, where I would say the same thing is probably and, true. But now you got to think, everybody's like, okay, we have some good news and we have some bad news, Kelvin. The, the bad news is that now not only is standing and throwing not a good option, it is basically not an option. However, the good news is that wrestling just got a lot more doable against Israel Adesanya. Do you still feel that way about Israel Adesanya? You know, he's had some time in MMA. It's not like back when we first saw him show up here and we were like, okay, if you want to try to double-leg this guy, you better do it soon. Do you still feel like somebody like Kelvin Gastelum, who's given up some size, can go out there and over the course of five rounds make it happen that way? Let me lay a couple numbers on you. Okay. The reach of Kelvin Gastelum. 71 and a half inches. The reach of Israel Adesanya, 80 inches. Okay. So you ask me what the path to victory is here. You better hope you can take this man down because Israel Adesanya obviously comes from that professional kickboxing background. Even though Kelvin Gastelum has kind of, you know, made his name with his strikes in some ways, uh, when he's on his own run of victories here, uh, you don't want to go out there and try to slug with Israel Adesanya, who's probably a, well, not probably, is certainly a, a more technically advanced striker than you are and has all of the physical advantages, right? I mean, there's a chance uh, he could catch a hot one and Kelvin Gaslam knocks him out here, but like, I mean, it's kind of, I'm kind of running the game plan back for Robert, Robert Whitaker in some ways because you better hope that Israel Adesanya has not sewed up that hole in his game. Don't you think? I think, or are you Ben Folks in it out there shoving Kelvin Gastelum out of the corner <laughs> and saying, just get out there and throw a hard one, kid? You got to believe. Believe in the left hand, Kelvin. Uh, no, I, I'm advising that he dig a series of tunnels under the cage. Uh, and like a prairie dog, you hop up in one. And when Israel Adesanya pursues you, you duck down in that tunnel and you appear other, again in another one. Eventually, he'll get so frustrated He'll stick his arm down one of the tunnels, and then you got him. Then you then you armbar him. Yeah. Uh, well, here's the thing that I want to ask you, because I think it leads into an interesting topic of conversation about Kelvin Gastelum and Israel Adesanya. Are you going to be astonished if you wake up on Sunday and the interim UFC middleweight champion is Kelvin Gastelum? I'll be surprised. I'll be a little bit surprised by that. I think Israel Adesanya ought to beat Kelvin Gastelum. I think... The problem I see for Kelvin Gastelum is like, do I see Kelvin Gastelum at some point getting a takedown on Israel Adesanya? Yeah, probably. And then I ask myself, where where do we go from there, right? Like, are you just, are, are we thinking that he's going to 
take him down, advance position, get into an advantageous spot and submit Israel Asanya? Because I think Israel Asanya goes into a fight like this thinking like, all right, you'll probably have to get up from a takedown or at least stalemate him when you do get taken down, but don't freak out. And I think that he has now maybe enough seasoning that he can deal with something like that. Plus, I think if you have a big reach advantage over the guy, the your takedown defense, in a way, is going to be a lot of prevention. Like, it's going to be controlling the distance, managing the distance, which is something that Israel Adesanya does pretty well, like, as a good striker. And really making his effort to close the distance into a, a very dangerous gamble for him. Like, I think that he has a lot of different ways to control this fight and to win and to avoid this one glaring weak spot. And Kelvin Gastelum, I feel like he's going to have to take some shots probably. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of what I think is interesting about this matchup in, in that in some ways, the narrative of this fight is that you've got Kelvin Gastelum, who is <coughs> not necessarily a guy who is ticketed for stardom. Like he's a guy who kind of keeps... <coughs> You okay? Yeah, you right. get, get some water down the wrong yeah, pipe no, over there? You no, want a banana to wash that thing down? Let me have like six bananas. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum has kind of been defying our expectations in certain ways since he showed up in the UFC. Like, uh, he keeps winning fights. He's obviously had kind of an up and down road. He couldn't make welterweight. But he's he's exceeded expectations in some ways. So in, in, in some ways, Kelvin Gastelum is the guy no one really projected to be in this fight taking on Israel Adesanya, a guy the UFC has clearly decided is the new hotness. So it's almost like uh, the guy they didn't want there and the guy they really, really want there. Right. Well, let's talk about, though, like what it actually means. Like let's, either either one of them. You become the middleweight champion and then no one's looking at you. Everybody's going like, all right, so you have the you have the token now that you get to turn in for the, the fight with Bobby Knuckles you know, strangulated hernia permitted. And this one seems to me like more of a, a, I don't want to say tricky, but less meaningful than the interim title fight at lightweight. Because this one, everybody kind of knows, like this is the, the eliminator fight. That's, that's all this is. And yet we have more of a reason to believe that whoever wins this will actually get to fight the middleweight champion. Whereas if you try to tell me, like even the UFC goes out there and we're like, we're guaranteeing you whoever wins this lightweight title is going to be next for Khabib Nurmagomedov. I don't believe you. Yeah. I just don't believe you. But this one, I feel like it is more meaningful in the sense that I, I buy that that's the plan regardless of who wins. Yeah. And like, clearly it comes down to the health of Robert Whitaker, but it does seem like, that that's definitely the way that this is, is trending. And I mean, frankly, and again, I, this just speaks to the embarrassment of riches. That is the talent rich roster of the UFC. If you wake up on Sunday morning and you got Israel Adesanya as your interim middleweight champion, and you got Max Holloway as your interim interim lightweight champion, man, you could do a lot worse than you to could. have a couple of young marketable, uh, potential stars on your hands suddenly walking around with UFC gold around their waist, even if it is uh, the interim championship. I will say this, whoever wins this middleweight fight, you better hope Robert Whitaker is ready to fight you on a an expeditious basin basis because uh, you don't want them suddenly turning around and being like, hey, you know, Jacare Souza uh, just won a fight. Uh, he's, he's ready to go. Yoel Romero is feeling better after his... Uh, after his illness, he's he's ready. 
Well, you guys want to fight one of those two guys instead of the the actual champ? Because I would be like, hell no. Yeah. I'm not fighting any of these hitters in this middleweight division. Luke Rockhold just went up and got a win at 205. How, how about him? You ready to go with him? No, sir. No. When Call me when Robert is healthy. <laughs> and I follow his Instagram. He's looking pretty healthy. Good he's out him. there. He's out there. It seems like he's going to bounce back from this one. Who, which underdog bet? Taking all things and both their chances to win and the potential payoff. I'm going to give you. Wait, you didn't even tell me what the odds were. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the odds. You, let's say you could get plus 191 odds on Dustin Poirier. That's nearly two to one. Or you can get plus 135 on Kelvin Gastelum. What's the better bet? Wow. Uh, at the at the odds, Dustin Poirier. I mean, like I don't know that either of these guys win these fights. I feel like Dustin Poirier feels more like to make something crazy happen. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's Kelvin Gaslam. Mike, do you, you disagree? You think Kelvin Gaslam's the, the position move here? I can picture how Kelvin Gaslam wins a fight with Israel Adesanya. Okay. He takes him down. He roughs him up a little bit there. And he catches him in a submission maybe when he's trying to get more desperate to scramble up. Or, you know, just takes him down, wears him out down there on the, on the mat and TKOs him. It's harder for me to picture how Dustin Poirier beats Max Holloway. Fair enough. But the payoff is bigger. That's and right. I know you, you get know that me, 20 I'm going to chase those odds every that's, time. That's right. You you want to be sitting in a bubble bath with a big cigar at the end of the night wearing a top hat and nothing else. You got to be willing to take the big risks. Lock myself in my bedroom. No matter what I say, do not let me out <laughs> until Sunday afternoon. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. been a host of MMA luminaries in action over the weekend at Bare Knuckle FC 5. Damn, they've done five of these things at this point. In a little less than a year. Still going strong. You got Artem Lobov gets a win over Jason Knight. Chris Lieben uh, with a 25-second knockout of Justin Baseman. Chase Sherman was in action. He got a win. Isaac Valley Flag is on this card. Johnny Bedford is on this card. Some people we know from the MMA world. I want to start with Chris Lieben and then we can move on and talk about you know, Artem versus Polly Malignaggi or whatever. Has Chris Lieben found his sport? I fear that he has. It doesn't, that's, I feel the same way. Like Chris Lieben can go out there against, you know, Justin Baseman or whoever Bare Knuckle FC can scrape scrape together for him and just throw them bungalows with no gloves on. Chris Lieben is always going to be able to knock a guy out. Yeah. Probably his entire life that will be true. And yet, the 25-second win for the Crippler here does not necessarily fill me with glee. No. No, it doesn't. And it makes you think of the alternate universe where, of course, nobody ever sanctioned bare-knuckle boxing or thought that it was a good idea. And Chris Lieben just goes on being a real estate agent and everything is okay. Yeah. Did he beat Baroni too, right? So he's 2-0 and in, in bare-knuckle FC. Be Baroni and the one that didn't pay anybody, right? Is that what it was? I think that was they, that in there a different some, organization? Yeah, there were some reports about that one. Because that, that was kind of the the copycat to this one that also had an event in somewhere else in Wyoming. And then there were a lot of reports that they didn't pay people. Okay. But well, he's he's 2-0 in bare-knuckle competition. And now he's leveled up to the premier organization. So he's going places. Okay, but this is... 
there's an interesting thing here that's happening around the whole bare knuckle phenomenon. Well, I would love for you to tell me what it is. What is interesting about bare knuckle FC? Other than the fact that it's still going. But, and again, I can't say exactly what the viewership numbers are. But if you go by people talking about it on social media and stuff, the people who are generally into just about any MMA event, they seem to be watching this. They seem to be paying attention to it. And it is now like gradually becoming part of the ecosystem, the combat sports ecosystem. And it's actually kind of smart, the kind of fighters that they are picking up. Like guys like Chris Liebman, guys like Artem Lobov and Jason Knight, where it's like, they were in the UFC, they were somebody in MMA, enough that people know them. Their next move might have been, after, you know, cut from the UFC, either retirement or like Bellator or the PFL. That was the old way of doing it, kind of. Or, if you're a certain kind of fighter, one who, let's say, not overly defensive, and yet, you know, a stand-and-bang type, somebody who doesn't mind going through a little physical punishment themselves, somebody who has a little bit more of a risk-taking mentality, and then it becomes like a feature and not a bug to be this kind of person on the tail end of a UFC career or an MMA career who is not hard to hit and who doesn't mind being hit that much and who is willing to go out there and pour some blood on the canvas in order to get their paycheck. You are exactly who BKFC is looking for. And they can do some good work with them, it seems. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point, I guess. That's Bare Knuckle FC is not out here trying to break the bank paying Tim Sylvia $800,000 uh, like Affliction. And I guess that that's a smart move because you're right. Like Chris Lieben, not a UFC champion, not like the guy, the high dollar main event guy that you're going to have to pay a, a bunch of money to come out there to Wyoming or wherever. This was and, in Biloxi, uh, Mississippi. Okay. Uh, and And to fight somebody, but at the same time, like, if you tell many MMA fi- uh, fans, especially MMA fans from a certain era or of a certain age, hey, Chris Lieben is fighting in a bare knuckle boxing match, some of them will probably be like, okay, hashtag would watch yeah. that. Well, and it's the same thing with Artem Lobov and Jason Knight. Like that matchmaking and everything about it is just like, okay, here are two guys that are going to go out there and just beat each other senseless. And then you see the fight, not only the fight itself, but the aftermath. I don't know if you saw the, I saw the video that I think, uh, MMA fighting put together and it was like an Esther Lynn video or a Casey, Casey Lydon video or something. And it's like a highlight video. And at one point you see Jason Knight just spit a tooth out and then astute camera work close up. So that, cause you were watching the video and you're like, wait a minute, what did he spit out? Was that spit? What, what? And then finds it on the mat and zooms in. It's a man's tooth. Okay. Which, it's an interesting moment. Must be an interesting moment. Mid-fight, you realize you just lost a tooth. You're already cut up. You know, you're bleeding. You're out there with your bare fists that are covered in blood. The other guy's cut up and bleed. When you see your own tooth on the mat, do you figure like, well, that already happened. So I guess now I might as well go try to win and make it really worth it. Or are you like, well, shit, this was a bad idea. Can someone wrap it in a warm paper yeah, towel? someone get this. Put it in milk or whatever they do. Okay, that is an able segue to me asking, am I just an old fuddy-duddy or some kind of a hypocrite in that, like, I'm a big MMA fan and I will watch MMA all day. I do not feel that interested in bare-knuckle boxing. And I don't 
def- necessarily know that it's just the violence of it that turns me off. But there's just something about it where I'm just like, yeah, not uh, not totally my cup of tea. And I hear about a guy spitting his tooth out and I'm like, OK, I'm glad I didn't watch that. And then I see these uh, Instagram videos of Artem Lobov and Jason Knight after the fight where they just they look like they've been through a murder scene. They look like they were out there fighting with axes or something. And I'm just like, it kind of makes me feel how like the aging stick in the mud sports writers that I used to work with at the newspaper were always feeling about MMA. Like, oh, they hit somebody when they're down? That doesn't sound very sporting. Now I'm the guy looking at these bare-knuckle boxing pictures being like, wow, glad I didn't watch that on the TV. All right, but then remember what we, the MMA people, would say to those old-timey sports editors talking about how you couldn't hit somebody when they're down is that, hey, MMA is probably actually safer than boxing, which who knows if that actually is going to turn out to be true over a long you know, period of study or sample size, whatever. That's the same thing that the bare knuckle boxing people would say about it is like, Hey, you see more cosmetic injuries. You see facial lacerations and you see hand injuries and stuff like that. But because just the limits of the human body, you can't stand there and pummel somebody about all manner in all places on their head with your bare fist without suffering some consequences that there's, and you can't train that, in the, you know a bunch of sparring rounds over and over again before the fight, so that basically this will add up to less total meaningful damage, even if it looks worse at times. Right. So here, to me, is maybe the the, uh, the best way that I can explain my feelings. Then, because I feel like the argument in favor of MMA was never really it's safer than boxing, because I think that was always kind of a uh, not necessarily a lie, but like an unprovable argument. The argument that I would make in favor of MMA as compared to boxing is that like you need a much more diverse set of skills right. to compete and be successful in this. So in my opinion, it's kind of more interesting than boxing because you know you have to be good in so many different areas and the, and it's so hard and there's so many different ways to lose that to me as a viewer, it's just more compelling. I don't think I can make that argument about bare knuckle boxing. You mean with their two minute rounds? Yeah. Just Tailored to, to, so that you don't, we don't want you to get too tired? Yeah, like I'm not... Like, and, and, you know, maybe you just set me up for this because you, you made the point about the kind of fighters that they're signing in Bare Knuckle FC. But, like, I don't know that I can make the case, like, oh, I really want to watch Chris Lieben fight in Bare Knuckle FC this weekend because I'm sure it will be a compelling technical display. Like, no, he's just going to go out there and fight a guy as though it were happening in a bar somewhere. Yeah. Well, and I think that that is one of the things that they're selling, honestly, is the weird, almost grotesque intimacy of a bare knuckle fight. Cause it's still, it's still something shocking about seeing them. Like you're punching them with your already bloodied fist, your bare fist. And like, you can hear it when I went to that first one, like you can hear that different sound that comes from skin on skin, like the fist colliding with somebody else's already sweaty, bloody face. And that, it that does feel like something else. And yet it also feels like it has a surprising, maybe not, maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm surprised how many fighters are super into it. Like they hear about it and they're like, well, fuck yeah. Like that's some bucket list shit for me. I want to do the bare knuckle. Well, you know, like let me see how far I can go with like the legit MMA stuff first. But once that's over, I hope the bare knuckle thing is still around because I want to be able to say I did that and find out what it's like and everything. And like the, the reactions I've seen from fighters is like, oh yeah, I want to do that someday. If my wife will let me, basically. <laughs> and 
fighter i mean i i understand how like if you were already of the a little bit more extreme mindset that you wanted to become a pro fighter in the first place you would see something about this and be like oh yeah like this like going back to the roots kind of like this would be awesome to do and if i'm the bkfc president i'm thinking like i'm i've really lucked out to kind of be here at this intersection where like there's a subset of the fans who think this is extreme enough to get my attention and it's like there's a novelty to it but then also the fighters are thinking, yeah, that'd be rad to get to do some bare knuckle. Like, that's kind of the, the sweet spot for you. I am the generic beer version of Dana White. All of a sudden, you go to the grocery store and there's just the white cans that say beer on them in black letters. That's me. I've lucked into this. Here I am, Bare Knuckle FC. Well, you saw, I don't know if you actually saw the video, but I told you about his excitement after right. <laughs> Artem Lobov got slapped by Pauli Malignaggi, and he was like, this is great. We're promoting a fight. This is excellent. And we're like, yeah, you're supposed to at least pretend to be upset about stuff like that. <laughs> but it does seem like you come out of this event and you're like, well, I'm headed straight to the top with this Bare Knuckle stuff because now I can book Pauli Malignaggi versus Artem Lobov. And... At least the early indications of that, Aram Lobov is showing up with his face looking like a damn burnt marshmallow. Yeah. And he's still out here going like, all right, when can we book that Pauli Malignaggi fight? Just capitalizing on the worst parts of people's competitive impulses. I'm out, I guess. Although, see, now I'm, gonna, now I'm telling on myself again. Now I'm flashing my hypocrisy here in front of everybody. Pauli Malignaggi versus Artem Lobov? Probably watch that. You probably would watch that. God damn it, I hate myself. All right, let's do Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week, Ben. What is your Just Saying Stuff this week? Well, Chen, I was looking over the, the UFC 236 fight card down there, Atlanta, Georgia, State Farm Arena. Hell yeah. Granddaddy of them all. Now, I was looking for something to try to get me excited after you said the thing where you were like, you know, what's the one that uh, you kind of can get yourself worked up for? I go down there. First of all, want to watch the early prelims? UFC Fight Pass. Then you want to watch the prelim card? ESPN. Okay. Then you want to watch the main card? Got to sign up for ESPN+. Plus. Gots to have all the things. Every single thing you have to have. <laughs> like, it's all here in one night. You got to have absolutely every access to every single thing in order to, to see it all. But, Chad... Of course, you're going to want to have all that stuff so you can watch Curtis Millinder versus Bilal Muhammad, right? Okay. Yeah, sure. Why not? Ten bucks a month for UFC Fight Pass. Oh, God. Curtis Millinder, Bilal Muhammad. Bilal remembered the name Muhammad. I'm just saying, maybe my calculation of uh, where I am on a UFC pay-per-view card changed significantly here with this new era because... If I'm on the prelim card on ESPN, I'm feeling pretty good. That's big time, man. Call up my high school buddies. Tell them, hey, you got ESPN? Of course you do. Turn on ESPN this Saturday night around about 6 o'clock. You're going to see a dude on there fighting in the UFC. However, if I'm on the early pre prelims, not a huge distinction necessarily between them and all these cards. And now I got to say, okay, first of all, yes, Fight Pass is still a thing. Second of all, it costs 10 bucks a month, twice what ESPN Plus does. Uh, anyway, that's where I'll be if you get a chance to check it out. I'm just saying. Just saying. Well, Ben, Tito Ortiz is back. What? Here's his quote to TMZ. What? I'll probably be fighting in October. 
Ortiz told TMZ. After I fought Chuck last year, I thought it would probably be my last one. But my body is intact. Everything is fast. Everything is great. Sparring's been good. Training's been great. And so, let's do one more. Just for fun. (laughs) Just for fun, Ortiz said. (laughs) Fun for whom? I have an opponent, and it's going to be fun when we announce it. So it's going to be cool. This week, I'm just saying, man, ain't nothing fun about that. There is not one fun thing about this, Tito. It's not fun. This is not fun. What? It stopped being fun a while ago, man. What would Tito, what could make him think that he will ever get a better high to go out on than knocking out Chuck Liddell? One more just for fun. One for the road. Tito Ortiz. Just saying. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We will be back next week to break down all the stuff that happens at UFC 236. We'll tell you who the new interim champs are. Then we'll start to look ahead at whatever comes after that. Do we know? Is there a UFC card? There's no There's no way of knowing. There's no possible way we could figure out if there's a UFC event the week after UFC. No, there's uh, Overeem versus Olenek. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll think of some stuff to talk Saint about. St. Petersburg, Russia. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. I can't be the made a lot of bad choices that were done under the banner of just yeah. You know how you end up uh, in a brawl in the Dublin pub? Go out to have we're just gonna have fun. one just, just a fun one. Just go out there and have one kind of special fun. Maybe you can order to show up. Yeah. In among the things that should definitely not get you over the door is if you hear me saying, come on, just for fun. <laughs> <laughs>